my god avocados are the worst though (laughs) can we not just acknowledge that they're so temperamental Welcome to Meet Me in the Middle. My name is Annika Buckle, and I am currently in the middle of an existential crisis. <laughs> Hi there. My name is Lee Freiling. I'm currently a master's student pursuing my master's degree in counseling psychology. I'm a former teacher and also current business owner. Hi, my name is Jenny Omani. I am a registered nurse by trade and a business owner. All mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yes, we did it. <laughs> Okay. So, um, this is really exciting. Let's just dive right in y'all, because I think this is going to be juicy. Um, and it's something that I know I've been looking forward to talking about jamming about for a little while today. We're going to talk about toxic positivity, um, (laughs) (laughs) which I think we all have some firsthand personal experience with. You might get a little bit of that from us today. Um, at kind of a 60,000 foot view, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, what we consider toxic positivity. We'll talk about definitions. We'll talk about problems. We'll talk about examples or ways this has showed up in our lives. And then I think to kind of put a little bow on this, we can wrap up with like, so what does it look like instead? What can we do instead? Or what works instead? Or what do we see being validating instead? So out of the gates, because this is how I roll, because one of my top strengths is input, which means I really like to Google things. I always laugh if there was like a gold um, medal that I was going to win, it would definitely be for Googling something because I'm really (laughs) good at actually finding the right answer. (laughs) Not to be confused with doing your own research. Very different, (laughs) very different experience. So toxic positivity is the assumption either by oneself or others that despite a person's emotional pain or difficult situation, they should only have a positive mindset. It involves dismissing negative emotions and responding to distress with false reassurances rather than empathy. It often comes from feeling uncomfortable with negative emotions. It is very often well-intentioned, but can cause alienation and a feeling of disconnection. Dr. Susan David, who's done a lot of research around this, I love this quote, toxic positivity is forced false positivity. It may sound innocuous on the surface, but when you share something difficult with somebody and they insist you turn it into a positive, what they're really saying is my comfort is more important than your reality. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Also from just the perspective of generally speaking, when people are sharing really challenging things, what they're looking for is connection. And they're looking for feeling seen and heard. And so when someone says to me, my dog died and you can say, oh, well, they're skipping over the rainbow bridge now that minimizes that person's pain that minimizes that person's experience. And in fact, what it does is it actually shuts down that connection that that person was seeking when they were telling you the hard thing. Totally. Cause they just want you to be like, wow, that really sucks. Like, I'm sorry, you're feeling that Mm -hmm. totally. There's nothing wrong with just validating that it's sad when a dog dies. Like you don't need to turn that into a positive. No, exactly. I mean, I appreciate that's like a harsh example. It could be like, you know, it feels probably relevant for you though, right? (laughs) Well, it is relevant for me. My dog died in December. So that's, that, that is a very relevant thing for me, but I mean, it could be something as like, 
you know, whereas like my avocado was brown on the inside today, meh, you know, I don't need someone saying like, well, there's more avocados in the grocery store. All I need is someone to be like, dude, that sucks. I bet you're excited for that avocado toast. Oh my God. Avocados are the worst though. <laughs> like, can we not just acknowledge that they're so temperamental? Well, and, and because they're so darn make them good. positive. Yeah. When you get it right, it's so good. But to your point, there's nothing. It is what yeah. it is. If it's a bad avocado. It's a bad avocado. Yeah. And then you're like, you just are stuck with this toast that's now naked. <laughs> and you don't want nobody likes naked toast. No. Except for Unless my you're my seven-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. The people who are in the only butter as a condiment phase of their life, they're the ones yeah. who are in for it. But the rest of us are sad. Anyways, I digress. Go on. Yeah. Continue to educate us, Annika. Tell us so, more about toxic positivity. So I think, you know, this is kind of when, as we look at like a very kind of basic view, I think- you know, we can kind of dive into this a little bit, but I feel like where obviously this has, you know, existed for a long time, this isn't like fresh and new with the internet, but I do feel there's definitely a piece of really this, um, sense being perpetrated within social media because it becomes very easy as social media is designed to show just the best and just the most positive and just the boopity boop boop rather than the reality of what's actually happening in most of our lives. Um, it kind of creates this self-fulfilling loop of like, just be more positive and then just show the positive and you just see the positive and it kind of sits on top of the reality of what most people are experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, I appreciate that you touched on social media kind of straight out of the gate because, you know, one of the issues with social media is that it's damn near impossible to get a nuance out of any kind of social media, anything, because you only have so many characters, right? And nuance is not generally well communicated through 200 characters or 500 characters. I don't know what Instagram is, but it's not, it's not a whole lot. Right. And so that paired with the fact that, you know, especially since the invention of TikTok, social media has really oriented, reoriented itself to like these clips of videos. Well, you know, again, like who's trying to make nuanced slash pseudo sad sacky, <laughs> you know, videos right now, like my avocado was brown. Like that's not, <laughs> you're thinking, okay, that's not going to get a lot of views. That's not going to get a whatever. And also I think because there's this inherent level of vulnerability, I think that we can't talk about toxic positivity without talking about sort of how it aligns with this in emotional invulnerability that people would prefer to feel as opposed to the realness. You know, I mean, if you take any kind of Instagram how to be awesome at Instagram course. They're like, be authentic. Number one thing, be authentic, right? Okay. Well, my authentic self is really not shiny and happy all the damn time. It just is not, but not also, possible. right. And so also how, like, is that something that in today's world is even pack packageable? Is that marketable? Is being sort of like a sloppy, messy human. I mean, there are some good examples. Glennon Doyle is really amazing at it. Kate Bowler is really amazing at it. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, before she just basically evaporated off the internet, was really good at that, good at it. But broadly speaking, those women have got, you know, real kind of like chops behind them. And probably most of us just don't feel like that. I also think with social media, so much of it is like everybody's selling themselves, like literally selling Quite themselves. A hundred percent. And if you look at like my personal experience with toxic positivity really starts with 
personal development. I'm using air quotes, personal development. And personal development really walks a fine line because these are all um, self-proclaimed sort of gurus who are selling their lifestyle, their this, and they all have this like pseudo um, rise from the troubled like life they're all white they're all privileged like they're they're not saying they didn't have troubled childhoods or you know difficulties or whatnot but like it's very nuanced and it's very like uh directed to be monetized Mm -hmm. and so if you are literally selling yourself as some sort of coach because none of these people have any credentials most of them don't um you're you're really creating you literally are creating your reality in terms of how other people see it. And some people genuinely do pull themselves up from extremely shitty situations and do wonderful things for themselves. And that's fantastic. But it's like, it's like how formerly fat people are the most horrible to fat people. It's like people that had formerly crappy lives and now have like done well for themselves. They really feel like they've somehow create unlocked a formula. Mm-hmm. And that formula is I'm going to teach you how to, to be like me and they don't want, and if you do it wrong, if it doesn't work, you did it wrong, which means you have to like aggressively believe in all of this sort of mindset stuff. And that's not to discredit mindset. Mindset's extremely important. There's actually a reasonable amount of data to to support that like mindset when you're going through like cancer treatment and whatnot, like it does um, sway some impact um, in terms of your overall prognosis for, for some people, but it's where mindset becomes unhealthy is I think the toxic part. Cause it's, it's one thing to wake up and be like, fuck my avocado was Brown. And then have a shitty day because your avocado was an <laughs> apple in the morning. Miss the yeah. three minute window. The avocado was good. And so it's one thing to be like, okay, my whole day is terrible because of this one thing. And yeah, there is like a certain level of like, that doesn't need to happen, but also this constant, like, oh, but you create your reality. And if you aren't thinking the right thing and things aren't going perfectly in your life, it's because you just didn't think you didn't manifest it properly. You didn't have the right mindset. And that's where it becomes toxic. It can be become all, all consuming. And it absolutely did to me for a while. Oh, me yeah. too. <laughs> I, I think that's a really important distinction um, that you called out there, Jenny, between like toxic positivity and like having a good attitude. <laughs> because I think the same thing. <laughs> yeah, they get very easily lumped in together. And yes, you know, where there is a place for like getting over that brown avocado or, you know, even that car accident or, you know, something that's like mildly traumatic, but not life-changing necessarily. Yes, there is a piece of that. And, um, and it's not always the answer to everything, especially with some of this larger systemic injustice, which I think will, I have some things to say about, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> I have a lot of things to say about, but I'll try to re- reel a little bit of it in. We've got lots of episodes for me to get on my soapbox about that. Yeah. And <laughs> Annika is our, is our resident p- political science graduate. So she actually, <laughs> she actually knows what she's talking about when it comes to this kind of stuff, which is um, really quite helpful for me. I'm the one who's like, so what's this major problem in the world? Can you tell me what it is? Oh, thank you. Now I understand. <laughs> I couldn't understand before. Now I do. She's very good at it. I do my best. I do my best. Um, So yeah, I think we've dived into this a little bit, but like, you know, let's get a little bit more into the nitty gritty with problems. You know, I think the big thing is the message it sends 
a nice idea to have positive thoughts, but the reality is when we pretend something isn't the way that it is, we're creating this disconnect. And Lee, this kind of comes back to what you were saying at the beginning. It's putting up a wall, a wall between us and other people, a wall between us and ourselves when we know something is bad and we just keep trying to tell ourselves that it's not as bad as we think, or we can't think about how bad it is. Um, what it, you know, it really, we're as humans, we're hardwired for intimacy. We're hardwired for connection and anything that puts a block up between ourselves and connecting with ourselves or ourselves and others, um, means it's going to become really hard for us to connect and be truthful deeply with one another. If we're only ever dealing with the superficial human experience, which is actually not the human experience in all its reality. Oh, so you mean that like the good vibes only (laughs) (laughs) sentiment isn't helpful? (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's just so, so minimizing. And it just negates again, the fact that like, we literally are a whole spectrum of emotions and to like try and pocket 90% of them to only live in this like gleeful dancing everything's amazing best best day ever whatever space is um i mean ridiculous at best and incredibly harmful at worst it's also really stressful i don't know like my experience when i was deep down the air quotes personal development rabbit hole was that i found it really stressful to um keep a positive mindset all the time when sometimes like like we were in the middle of a pandemic and I'm an ice bit. nurse and oh, it weird was, was actually that not awesome <laughs> for periods of time. And it wasn't because of my mindset. It was because of a real, a lot of extenuating factors. Um, and like, that was just literally, and I kind of hate the term season of life. Cause I think it's overused, but like it was, that was the season that I was in with lots of other people. And like, there was no sugarcoating being an ICU nurse in the pandemic and the depths of it, like it just fucking sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really stressful trying to like mindset it. And it was like, oh no, I actually needed a therapist. And it's funny how, when I got a therapist and actually focused on things other than like my mindset and my mood, everything got so much better. It's almost Mm -hmm. like these professionals know what they're doing. It's almost like when you go to school for a real long time and study something really intently for a really intentional long period of time, that's really consequential because you have to get good grades and then you have to do practicums and try it out with other professionals that somehow it turns out well. (laughs) These are not the days for you to say controversial things about people who've had lots of schooling. Okay. I know. I know. Social media has gone kind of nuts. And I don't like using terms like nuts or insane or crazy because I think that they're problematic. They're not like very inclusive terms, but it's gone bananas. It's gone wild, whatever. It's kind mm-hmm. of taken off because uh, everybody's like literally duplicating themselves. It's like they, they market themselves and it creates this like weird sort of system of everybody being an expert on like mindset. And um, I think that like some people are sports, mindset coaches for sports. Like that's a niche thing. And you're looking at a really specific um, area with a specific group with a specific focus. It's not like your life, like your life isn't specific. No. Yeah. Sports psychology is a whole, that's a whole thing. I mean, that's literally a career for people. Right. And again, they dedicate years and years and years of, of study and, and school and research and, 
you know, clinic trials and all this kind of stuff to figure out how to, how to do it. And then it is still tailored to the individual athlete. And I think that this is an important point is that in the land of self-help and in the land of personal development, we have these books and these influencers and these gurus who are kind of like, if you follow my five-step plan or my 12-step plan or my whatever step plan, you know, you too will be as successful as I am. And unfortunately, generally speaking, sure, they might have some stuff that's sort of like broadly helpful. You know, I mean, generally speaking, people don't become really popular on the internet unless their stuff has like kind of sort of more or less maybe sometimes work for some people in some ways. Um, And also because, you know, sometimes it's things like clean up your space, you know, like a uncluttered space is better for your brain. And that is again, a truth, right? But the challenge is, is that often, I mean, Rachel Hollis is a fantastic example of this. You know, a lot of times the stuff that's being sort of purported as like, this is the way was the way for her. And she is a sample size of one. And she is a whatever, white lady who has lots of resources and access to, you know, all kinds of people and privilege and blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, getting up, quote unquote, four o'clock in the morning and like working really hard worked for Rachel Hollis. Good for her. And also that is not in and of itself a formula. Right. And so this I tried that. And guess what? I was too tired to even chat with my husband at the end of the day, because when you wake up at four in the morning, you're really tired by 7 p.m. And then you go to bed. Yes. With your two-year-old. Yeah. It might be really fantastic in terms of your like work productivity, if that's your sole focus. Yes. But my home life and my marriage and my family is actually even more important. And they got completely neglected because I was up at four in the morning. Well, and you know what? I think this also highlights, I mean, Rachel Hollis is such a very easy way to highlight things that are problematic right now. Yes. <laughs> Wait, but, uh, I mean, I she think made herself is- a real target. It's <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, <girl>. sorry, Rachel. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, let's use this. Like, I think this is a beautiful example of how this has been around very much pre-social media. Like when life gives you lemons, yes. you make lemonade. So let's yes. actually dissect that. Not everyone's lemons are the same. What happens? happens when the lemons are not just bitterly sour, but actually poisoned. You can't make lemonade without sugar, which, and I looked this up on the internet this morning, in case you're wondering, has gone up by in price by 33% in just the last six months. Mm. And not everyone has clean water to mix it in. So, I mean, even this very simple platitude illustrates how very complex this issue is when we really, when we try to boil it down to basically like whatever pain you're in, you're asked for, you asked for it, or you're not doing enough to get out of it. Yeah. I really loved uh, listening to Kate Bowler sort of talk about that. So if you don't know who Kate Bowler is, Kate Bowler is a, um, a divinity school professor at Duke divinity school. She's a Canadian who happens to live in the States. And when she was 35 years old, about a year after she gave birth for the first time, she found out she had stage four cancer. That was like incurable all of the bad, all of the bad things. And she, you know, especially was in this like, you know, very super Jesus following sort of space where it was all about like, well, God has a plan for you and like bloody bloody, whatever, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I mean, she's written two books on this particular sort of thing, but you know, everything, everything happens for a reason. And she was like, uh, so you're telling me that like 
there's like a real positive reason why it is that my son is probably going to grow up without a mom. Like what? Like, it, and she just realized she was like, that's just like such a, it's such a gross, gross. thing to say oh, to people. So and, and I mean, again, like, you know, my dog passed away in December and granted she was really old and had an incredible life. And like, it was definitely her time to go. And also if somebody had said to me, <laughs> you know, everything happens for a reason. I want to like punch them in the face. Like my baby puppy, my first like fur baby, like dies. And then someone wants to like somehow like slap some pink rainbow sparkles on it and make me feel better in that way, as opposed to just being like, yeah, that's the worst. Like when your dog dies, that's the worst. And here's a pastry and maybe a fruit basket. Like (laughs) bring me food when I'm sad, basically. (laughs) I work in areas with like deep sorrow, like Mm -hmm. a lot. Like it's just like a common thing in ICU and like, and even if people aren't dying, like they're really sick. It's a really traumatizing experience for the family and whatnot. And zero people ever, anybody from the hospital, friends ever find themselves in that moment being like, well, you know, this is happening. Your dad was hit by a truck for a reason. Nobody, zero people when they're in actually face-to-face with that situation finds themselves saying that. It's only people that are distant providing like this sort of very generalized advice right like Like love and light love and light love and light zero people come in those spaces in a hospital and like love and light nobody because if you're actually feeling reading the room and feeling the room like you you would have to be a complete monster to, to to utter words like that like you just you would you would you just couldn't do it right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you end up avoid you're negating how people are feeling and um and I think that's why it's so easy for this space in social media, on the internet, for people to vary um, from this distance place, like literally from their living rooms, tell, share how other people are supposed to feel about things because they're not actually feeling, they're not in an emotional place at all. They're sitting in their living room. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you're not in a space where you're um, actually having, it's like when you think of it, something that happens and you're like, oh, well, I would respond by doing X, Y, and Z. Well, when you're actually in the situation, you like never do the things that you practice in your head. Right. No. So no. it's really easy to That's preach. That's why I'm really good at winning arguments like in the shower after the fact <laughs> with the shampoo bottles rather than like <laughs> in the moment. <laughs> Even though in the moment you like cried and walked away. Like <laughs> oh my gosh. Shower arguments. That's so oh, good. It's very cathartic. Maybe because I'm a Pisces, just all that water get, really gets me going. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the other things that um, comes up for me around this is I think that when we create this imbalance, that then um, gratefulness becomes associated with guilt. Like gratitude is guilt because if you can't access it, then there's something wrong with you if it's not just sitting right there on the surface. And then you start to feel guilty about how I can't access this and there's something wrong with me. And it kind of, it's like it taints this whole experience of, feeling true deep gratitude out of your body for things that you have in your life because there's this expectation it should always be there and yes again the flip side of that like is there some beautiful power in writing down things you're grateful for every day and starting or ending your day with those kind of intentions absolutely but I think it we we can very easily poison that experience by expecting it to be there all the time well, well not I- experiencing Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and also by by expecting that if I feel grateful, I will also not feel 
bad, sad, mad, whatever about whatever terrible thing. Like I can be intensely grateful for my husband and my kids. And I I can also be really, really sort of fucked up about what's happening in the world at the same time. Right. And yeah, does the, my, the intensity of my gratitude for my husband and my kids in a sense, you know, keep a light on the horizon of the dark that we're swimming in. Totally. For sure it does, but it doesn't negate it. And I think one of the things that you can't talk about when it comes to talk, talks of positivity uh, without talking about is that you can't say that everything is good or bad when that's just not true. The toxic positivity thing really plays into this idea of this world being a binary experience. Things are either good or they're bad or they're or they're evil or they're whatever, like, you know, and so Republican, Democrat, pro, anti. Exactly. Exactly. It put, it places us in a real black and white sort of space. And unfortunately, I mean, which is really kind of the impetus for this whole uh, podcast. That's just, that's just not reality. Like reality is, is that we're almost never entirely at one end or the other of whatever spectrum we happen to be living on in that particular moment. We are almost always somewhere in the middle you can be, you know, whatever, if you're having like the most blissful day ever, like, yeah, sure. You can be like towards one end. If you like are having the worst day ever, you can be towards the other end. You can feel really strongly and passionately about a particular, you know, view, but also recognize if you are looking at it through any kind of an educated lens, that there's just so many, um, you know, elements to consider that it makes it impossible to actually be living a fully binary experience. But the story through social media and in large part, unfortunately, the media and a lot of people's upbringing and a lot of sort of just the way that things are communicated is it's it's this or that, you know, you're in, you're out, it's on, it's off, it's good or it's bad. So, you know, the idea around the gratitude list, like, yeah, there's tons of research around gratitude along it being something that's very healthy for people to do and a great practice. And it is really centering and grounding and can remind you on a particularly bad day. Like there are, there is still good in the world, but it's a both and as opposed to a either or. Yes. Do you know, I loved, and I know you guys have probably listened to this, uh, the you're on about podcast where they go through princess die. Oh, yes. And I love how they just are like going through and they're doing like, um, essentially like character descriptions for, for die and for, for Charles and their analysis is like, yeah, they were both like total jerks to each other. Yeah. So you can, you can like pedestalize die as this wonderful person. And she was, she was a great mom, but she was also like a really immature human sometimes. Cause she was like in her early twenties when she was married to this guy and she had no idea what she's doing. And I love how they just do such a great job of highlighting, like, yeah, we can be, we can be, we're many things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- and one thing, like when I had a really difficult day on Saturday, the act of just being like, wow, this was a really hard day. This was probably the worst day I've ever worked in my entire life. This is the saddest I've ever been at work. And just feeling that felt really freeing because mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I needed to change anything. I was like, no, like what happened was really awful and it's okay for me to be really sad and for me to be like, God, I don't think I've ever been this sad before. Yeah. And to just like be sad and cry. And no. like, it was actually very like, I actually in the moment was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I don't believe in uh, the need to shift my mood in this moment because this feels actually very free to, to just be really upset right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's mm-hmm. kind of the irony, right? Is when we feel the feeling, then we get to move through the feeling. 
It's a funny mm-hmm. thing. It's almost like feelings were designed to be felt. Oh, no. Stop. <laughs> funny, huh? funny story. I mean, I will say what, you know, I have been in therapy with a fantastic therapist for like, I don't know, five, four years or something like that. And so I have a lot of like, you know, sort of nuggets of, of wisdom that I can really hold on to in tough moments. And one of the things that she said to me was that feelings are meant to be felt because I needed to be told that right. Because between how I was, how I was, how I grew up and just all the coping strategies that I had to develop around that. And then being in the business that I was in for a long time and coaching for a long time, blah, 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 blah. This concept of actually feeling my feelings was a real radical idea, right? So if I was sad, instead of just like squashing it and putting it in my pocket and putting it in that ever-growing backpack that I just carry around all the time of all of my shit, you know, taking a minute and just like working through it and feeling it, you know, another good analogy she gave me was um, all emotions are like waves. And so if you can basically ride your wave like a surfer, all waves end all waves eventually make it to shore. And so it might take a while, but at some point it's going to end. And so if you can just like stay with the feeling instead of like squashing or numbing or whatever that happens to be, then you've actually processed it and you've actually moved through it as opposed to just like putting it in your backpack and being like, well, I'll deal with that later. I mean, there are times when that's appropriate, you know, like if something rough is happening and you're in a real dense mom moment or like you're out in public or you're at your work, you know, place of work. Sure. It's not necessarily appropriate to just like sit on the floor in the grocery store and just like cry <laughs> for like half an hour. Maybe not. Totally Wait a though. minute. Get out of my head. You. <laughs> following me. But I mean, I think it's important to then, you know, hopefully stay present enough that you can sort of pick that up later, you know, when you get home and you are in that safe space or you're with your hopefully you know, your partner who you can like, you know, chat that out with or a good friend or a therapist, right? Like having that person for whom you can sort of process these things with, even if it's only in the capacity of, I just need to put this somewhere. I mean, I've sent both of you texts like that. I'm like, I just need to get this out of my body. I need to put it somewhere. I'm going to put it here. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need you to fix this. I just need to like basically have someone else bear witness to the bullshittery that I'm dealing with in this Mm -hmm. particular moment. Right. And so I think, I think it's an important thing to sort of recognize that difference between, you know, oh, just, you know, be grateful or it could be worse or whatever it is. And then just keep on moving on, moving on, moving on inherently. That's where we start to get a lot of sort of mental health dysfunction is that we do just keep packing it back and packing it back. And so we can't talk about toxic positivity without talking about that relationship. Mm -hmm. The fact that toxic positivity is actually contributing to the worsening of someone's long-term mental health. Do you think, I was just thinking about this because I, I like love history mm-hmm. and I was just thinking about like, for me, like culturally as like a white person whose family is historically English, mm-hmm. like, is this a, is this like a Western kind of issue, this toxic positivity? Because think about like old waspy white people in like Victorian era and forward, especially as women, like you were literally like kids were supposed to be seen and not heard. So mm-hmm. that's a great way to grow up. And then as women, um, like, I mean, what, would, what, as soon as a woman showed any form of emotion, it was like called hysteria mm-hmm. in Victorian Somebody era. Take out her uterus. <laughs> totally. Right. Like they like literally the only female diagnosis was related to uh, behavior mm-hmm. and, and it was actually like normal behavior. None of it was abnormal. It was just like women who disagreed or like openly voiced their opinions and weren't essentially agreeable wives. 
right? Like, is this well, a Western some of problem? This comes out of this idea that like we've the patriarchy has branded anger for men as not an emotion, mm-hmm. right? Well, because like historically, I mean, oh, women are so emotional. Well, who wrote history, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. like who who recorded all this stuff? Women weren't even allowed to read for how mm-hmm. long, right? Like mm-hmm. it was like a advance, like it was risque when certain women like even noble women learned how to read and write. Like there was a period of time where that, that pivoted, but for like a long time, any form of education was like highly for men only. Oh, quite. Well, I think, I mean, I'm hardly an expert on this, but you know, my sense is that between the like British stiff upper lip Mm -hmm. and the, you know, uh, puritanical sort of influences that come up through the States um, around like, you know, if something is bad or whatever, you're not being grateful enough. You're not being grateful to God. Mm -hmm. You're not being grateful to your husband. You're not like, you know, praying enough. You're not blue, blah, blue, blah, blue, blah, whatever, all of this sort of nonsense. Um, I think that we've just had, you know, generations upon generations upon generations of everybody, but women in particular, um, having their life experience minimized really at the end of the day. Mm. Um, I do think that there's very much, you know, a Western element to this. You know, we see lots of examples of, you know, women in um, Middle Eastern cultures, like when someone dies, you know, the wife or the mother or the girlfriend or the sister, they're like openly wailing in the funeral. Right. And they're just like screaming and wailing and falling down and they're really embodying how much pain they're in and they're expressing it in the moment. I don't know about you all, but have you seen a a wailing, gnashing of teeth, falling down woman at a Canadian funeral ever? No, I sure haven't. Right. The ones I've attended for my family members, I can tell you there was none of that happening. There's a lot of very polite tears at best. There's a lot of stone faces and it's because we're really uncomfortable with this expression of pain, expression of sorrow, of loss, of, you know, grief. And I think it's, I think it's because we're, we've been, you know, culturally conditioned to be uncomfortable with that ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about this, like, you know, buck up, you know, cheer up, bucko sort of like thing, or it could be worse or, you know, whatever, parts of it are helpful in some ways, you know, you stub your toe and someone like, you know, gives you a little hug and says, okay, you're all right. Your toe's okay. You okay. Keep going. Right. That's fine. I think that's important to be able to like help people not just be like, Oh, your toe forever, unless it's broken. Then of course go to the hospital. But, you know, but when it comes to some of this like real stuff, we're applying the same lens to it you know, we're applying the same lens. When my dad passed away, my, you know, I like, I cried a little bit in my dad's funeral. And I remember my mom looking at me being like, why are you crying? Like you had such a good dad. You should just be so happy. You had such a good dad. Right now I did have such a good dad and I am so happy. I had such a good dad. And also I was like 20 and my fucking dad just died. So like, I was real sad, you know, but again, it was because in a sense, she couldn't, I mean, I'm not blaming my mom. She couldn't, she couldn't handle my sadness on top of her sadness in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't have the support system to support her through it so that she could support me through it. Right. And I think broadly we have this sort of epidemic of, of, you know, just push through, it's going to be fine. And again, part of that's helpful sometimes, you know, I mean, I can't tell you 
in doing my master's degree, how many times I've just been like, I have nothing left. I cannot write one more word. There's just nothing to say today. <laughs> I can't, I can't. And then I just put on a half an hour timer and I say, okay, 30 minutes more. You can do this. Let's go. You can do this. Let's go. And then I do it and that's fine. But that is different from genuine struggle, genuine pain, or even just like, oh, this is so hard. You know, minimizing well, is it's like, it's no surprise when you think about the last two years and sort of how much um, fear and anger there is. And yet how many more people are up sharing how you can change your life and mm-hmm. sharing how it's like people are so, whether it's conscious or not, um, uncomfortable with how other people are feeling that they're literally monetizing their own narrative of like, no, I don't want to hear about all the bad things. It's all for- good vibes only. We just need to raise our collective vibration and you just need to buy my course and I will tell you how to do that. And like, it's like, and if you do it wrong, uh, well, the only way to, for it not to work is if you do it wrong, mm-hmm. but it's like this deflection of discomfort in a space where like, yeah, there's a lot of division and there's like mm-hmm. a lot of things that are just like not awesome right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just become this thing where I think there's just so much discomfort around it that rather than just acknowledging like, yeah, this is hard. It's like this, we have to fix everything. We always need to fix things. Um, and I just find that kind of fascinating that we constantly just have to fix everything. Like we can't just let things sort of for a while, maybe just feel like not awesome. Yeah. Well, and also just not just fix it, but like real quick fix three steps to getting right. over your dead dog or whatever. <laughs> I can make avocado. I feel like I feel like we need like a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, like pet death. Yeah, and like bad, bad jokes about pet death. Yeah, and avocados. There's a lot avocados. of avocados. If you avocado had a bad content. avocado this morning, wait till tomorrow to listen to this episode. Yeah, because we are not going to make you feel better about your avocado. But I think you know a lot of what both of you are touching on comes back to this idea that my comfort is more important than your reality. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like. I cannot possibly be made uncomfortable by your experience. So I have to sanitize your experience or I have to have you sanitize your experience for me. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, this also comes back to another thing I love to get on my soapbox about lately, which is just the rabid capitalization of everything right now. Late stage Mm -hmm. capitalism insists that everything must be monetized. You cannot have a hobby if you don't turn it into a way to make money. You cannot have personal or spiritual development or growth without figuring out a way to monetize it because the beast is so hungry right now. Everything you, you don't have time for a hobby. So if Mm -hmm. you're going to carve out time for a hobby, you better figure out a way to make it make money because otherwise Mm -hmm. how on earth are you going to be able to afford to pay rent this month, Mm -hmm. which is all symptoms of the broken system but what it creates in us is this like coming at each other with like it's this or it's that it's you or it's me it's us or it's them when actually the problem is in the system that actually just sometimes needs people to have spiritual experiences without monetizing them Mm -hmm. (laughs) right it's like Mm -hmm. the cult of individualism versus the idea that we actually all live within a community right Mm -hmm. right you know if we if we're operating within community then we can we have the sort of like in a sense almost like hive hive mind or like web of interconnectedness whereby we can support each other because you coming to me with your hard thing is okay i can handle hearing that because i also have a web of people behind me who can i can diffuse that through if i need to but what we're creating within toxic positivity are these basically emotional silos 
where I'm working so hard to stay positive all the time. And I have, in essence, good vibed onlys only myself out of that interconnected web of having people mm-hmm. who are willing to, you know, hold space for me or, or hold my hand or just listen to what, you know, be that place where I can put that thing because, you know, oh, well, you know, have you, have you tried like, I don't know, have you meditated today? Like, have you, have you worked out today? Like, and again, all these things are good, but like, they're not necessarily a stand in for having a community of people for whom who care for you. And when we're really committed to this hyper individualist success above all else, good feelings above all else, sparkly, shiny rainbow fairy wings above all else, it, it isolates us emotionally and sometimes physically from people. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. I think that on that beautiful note, I'm going to, I'm timekeeper today. So I'm going to rein us in with, so let's talk about what we do instead. What does instead look like? Because I think we've touched a lot on validation. Oftentimes it literally is just, I see you. I feel you, your, your pain is not too much for me. And sometimes your pain is too much for me (laughs) and that's okay too. Um, but what does that, what does that look like? And how do we start to shift that? Because we've addressed like, yes, there is absolutely a, a time and a place for like, you didn't break your toe. Like let's, let's get up and keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does validation and hope look like, or what does hopeful optimism look like when we're in that situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think initially you sort of touched on it when you were like, sometimes I can't handle your pain. You know, I think it's really important to ask, you know, figuring out who the people are for whom broadly can hear you and sort of saying like, Hey, I've just got something I need to put down somewhere. Like, can you just listen to me? I don't need advice. I just need you to like, listen, that gives someone, I'm not super amazing. Good at that. I'm a little bit like, "Ah, here's my bad thing. Listen to it. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Anyways. But (laughs) asking is actually a nice thing because you're right. If somebody doesn't have the capacity to hear that that day, which is fair, because we are all living with all the things that we're living with, you know, then you have other options. You can go to someone else. You can put it in a journal. You can like speak it into a voice note, right? Getting it out of your body is really helpful. Um, but you know, initially just having somebody who you can sort of like, just put, put that to, and then, and expressly telling them, like, I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to be my witness. Basically. I need to get it out of my body. And it's helpful when somebody else is there, that connection piece is important. I also just think it's really important to say that often, like you can't toxic positive, you can't positivity yourself out of genuine depression. You can't positivity yourself out of PTSD. You can't positivity yourself out of something incredibly traumatic that happened. Um, You know, the, I will be the broken record for uh, pursuing therapy when Mm -hmm. those are the things that are actually happening in your life. Um, You know, and I appreciate that one of the great tragedies of our particular society is that we don't have universal mental health care yet. Yeah. Always say yet, because we mm-hmm. need to be, we just yep. need to be working in that direction. Um, but for a lot of people, there are mental health resources that are available. Um, they take a little work getting to, you may have to work with your family doctor. You may have to go to your community mental health 
whatever happens to be and just sort of say like, Hey, I'm really struggling. Can I get in and see somebody? Um, it, your, if your extended health covers, you know, counseling, absolutely access that. Um, you know, a lot of people have big fear about counseling and like, it's going to be the world's worst thing, which has of course been my absolute opposite experience. Like there's literally nothing better than sitting in a room with someone who's whole professional and intentional time with you is to help you feel seen and heard and understood and cared for. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's important to be able to distinguish between the brown avocado and the stubbed toe, um, and being able to kind of buck your way up out of that. But when things are genuinely terrible, you know, you've lost someone to COVID, you are one of the frontline healthcare, you know, professionals who have been dealing for two years with incredible you know, tra trauma and vitriol and challenge and misinformation. Um, you're someone who's lost someone over the last two years through something really awful, you know, anything around that, like going in and seeking again, the support of someone who's been real intentional in terms of their study and their professionalism and all the stuff whose whole intention is just to help you out is probably the most ironically positive thing you could do for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I and feel like I just want, I want to put a bow on that. Put a bow, I know. <laughs> like, all right, there we go. And that's a wrap. <laughs> right? Therapy's cool. Avocados have a short timeline that they're yeah. good. Yeah. And if you didn't break your toe, just yeah. keep on going. You're all right. <laughs> also, if it's a systemic problem, it's the fault of capitalism. And you can't talk and you can't positivity your way out of that either. But. No. That a subject for another day <laughs> totally <laughs> um all right well uh any last parting words before we wrap this beauty up y'all no all right good stuff <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much uh and uh yeah stay stay as as middle as you can out there my friends We'll get better at that part.